Hello and welcome to Tales of the Resistance. This is a podcast dedicated to discussing the one health threat of antimicrobial resistance. I'm Beth on socials for I Am Responsible. I'm joined by our own Mara. Welcome back, everybody. And our veteran host, longtime fighter against AMR, Amber. Hi, Amber. Hi, Beth. It's great to be here. I'm Amber. I'm the graphic design person for the Schmidt Lab and work with the I Am Responsible team. We've got more questions from the audience today. We're coming down to the end of the wire, and then we'll launch our new series about... It's in flux. We don't know what it is yet, Uh, (laughs) otherwise known as no spoilers. Okay, let's get this party started. We decided to end with this is our final question in all of these mailbags for a little while. Questions are continuing to come in, and we do want to encourage people to keep sending questions, but we will not be doing them in sequential, we'll not be continuing with the sequence of mailbags, at least for a little while. We'll come back to them in the future. So we decided to end with this is our final question for our our mailbags for now, and that is what are the best and worst case scenarios going forward with AMR. So it's like the million dollar question, everything rolled up into one. Uh, What did you guys think? First thoughts on this one. My worst case scenario that I thought of was, uh, you might've heard this term coined before, the post antibiotic world, which is essentially, we've completely dropped the ball on this and antibiotics have become obsolete, like every antibiotic pretty much. That's a really bad scenario, but I really, I don't see that happening. I am a cynical person. So my best case scenario isn't a perfect ideal scenario at all. So to me, I'm thinking that the majority of the world is gonna sleep on AMR for a while until it becomes a visible personal threat kind of like, you know, climate change or COVID, you know, you knew COVID was happening somewhere else, but you know, those first months, but it didn't feel personal to you. Um, And I don't think until it's personal to us, it's really going to get the push it needs for the policies to change and the push for big pharma to start really focusing on developing antibiotics. And my cynical personality comes in for this too, is a big pharma they're not going to do anything until they see profit from it. So either our, po- like we've talked about this before, is how the policies now that are in place don't make it very profitable for a big pharma company to develop antibiotics just because of how the way antibiotics are used. You don't want to use an antibiotic unless you have to. And a new antibiotic that's been developed is the last resort. They're not going to be the first line of defense so when the patent ends, then, you know, the company isn't getting any more financial gain from that. So I don't think the big pharma is going to step up and start developing these antibiotics until they see some profit from it or the government throws a bunch of money at them to do it. So it's, it's going to be in my mind, not until we, the people, you know, take the threat seriously and start putting pressure on our political elected leaders. I think that in the best case scenario, it's going to not be as best case as you wish it was going to be. And I would kind of piggyback on that. I think worst case scenario would be what Beth said, that antibiotics 
are no longer effective. And that would be catastrophic, obviously. And we are heading in that direction to some degree, right? That's why it's a public health crisis. And best case scenario, there would be funding to researching new antibiotics. I think because it is a bigger issue in other countries that they're more proactive towards working towards that end goal. But also I think my hope is that through organizations like ours, like I am responsible and the World Health Organization and the CDC, not to say that we're up there with those organizations, but that people become at least aware of what what AMR is. And um, if we can put it on people's radar and make them aware that there is a problem, then hopefully people will start taking some responsibility and doing things to prevent and combat AMR as as best as possible. Uh, Maybe that's a little idealistic, but that's my hope. Yeah, I think think it's helpful in terms of motivating that best case to understand the scale of the worst case. I think we've talked about, there's a, there was a report a few years back out of England on uh, what, what do they see as the scale of the threat. And they put this number, 10 million deaths per year in their report. And that has gotten tossed around a lot um, by people like us working in this field. And I just want to put that into context here. They say in the report that's more than cancer. But also, I uh, just looked up worldwide COVID numbers, uh, 6 million in the last two years. So we're talking almost twice as many every year. And global climate change, There, I, I read a wide variety of estimates on how many people are dying from climate change now and how they estimate in the future. I saw, you know, a quarter of a million now, up to a million a year by the end of the century. I also saw when you start looking systemic wide, not just like direct deaths, already we're looking maybe at 5 million deaths per year from climate change. So there's a, what I'm trying to say, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can count this, but in either case, even that, that high end 5 million deaths a year is half of what we'll be talking about for AMR by 2050, not by 20, um, by the end of the century. So this could get really, really bad and not that, and 2050 is within our lifetimes, all of our lifetimes. So that's relatively quickly. I don't, I think that there is a lot of possibility to intervene in this and that there is globally, like you were saying, more, maybe more motivation to do so. I don't think we're going to get to that worst case scenario, Um, but I do think that it's helpful to sort of understand it. On the other hand, I don't, I, I want to caution people in terms of understanding a best case scenario. As we've talked about in these question and answers, antimicrobial resistance is a natural phenomena. It's a mutation of bacteria as they evolve to their environment and, and fungi and viruses and it's all microbes, but specifically, back, uh, especially bacteria. And we will not stop them from doing that. So antimicrobial resistance or resistance to phages or resistance to just infectants or whatever we're trying to use to sort of protect ourselves from them, they are going to evolve ways to deal with it. And it's always going to be us learning to deal with them as they're evolving to deal with us. And that is going to always be the case. 
And so in terms of best case scenario, what we come out of this is worldwide societal value on those types of studies that are developing the next generation of intervention, that that has to be an ongoing constant, you know, for the good, for the survival of the species investment is we have to stay ahead of this. But that needs to be paired with that we need to remember and always be living with the thought of these personal actions that we can take. Because we have understanding that we'll always have resistance. And even in the best case scenario of research that is keeping us ahead on treatment, we all will have a responsibility to basically extend that timeline, right? Because the more of us that get sick, the more of us that gets that are passing around diseases, the more opportunities for those resistances to occur. And that shortens the research timeline. So we have, you know, even if in the best case scenario of our forever staying ahead on research, we have a personal responsibility to give them as much time as possible to save us. And that is all of the stuff we've talked about in this question and answer is it's the hand washing, it's the food safety, it's the whatever intervention that you are using, antibiotics, phages, anti disinfectants, antimicrobials, all of that stuff, you should use it wisely. Use it as it is designed to be used in the right concentrations, in the right doses, with good disposal of it, and, and only when and where required. And, and if we can, best case scenario, we all sort of develop this mindset that we are part of the solution. If the solution is we have to keep forever researching ourselves out of this problem, I guess we can't say out of this problem, but researching ourselves to manage this problem, then we are part of that research in our ability to prevent infection. So I guess that would be my best case scenario is that we, as a global society, develop a lot of value in and and maybe the financial uh, structures to support the research into interventions that we will need forever in the future and into the personal behaviors to preserve the current interventions that we have, antibiotics or in infection prevention and stuff like that. I think, but best case scenario, either way, we're going to do this for a long time for the rest of our lives. And then I think we have to start to sort of accept that living in a microbial world. This isn't this isn't our world. This is their world and we're just living in it and we're going to adapt some we're going to adapt our own um, survival mechanisms and these are some of them. I like that you pointed out putting it the numbers in perspective. I've seen that number 10 million deaths by 2050 and it's good to keep it and see it in perspective. Like I'd read that it'll be more than HIV AIDS, more than malaria, um, knowing it's more than cancer. Also knowing that it's probably more than climate change would kill. It's a good way to think about understanding the scale of it. Because sometimes when you would just have a number of deaths, 
that this many people died, you can't, it's hard to make it, uh, it's hard to grasp such a huge number of people. And I also liked how you and Amber both, uh, Mar and Amber both commented on how, how global the problem is. So we don't just have to rely on one country's um, motivation to change for everything. Because everywhere around the world, there's going to be efforts made to change. And us personally making efforts to change, like Mara said, that I think is something that will happen. Once people know about it, that's a, that's a quick change that can happen. Um, like we saw, like you see with climate change, there's a lot of individual people aware and doing what they can to fight it. I guess my cynical take is more on um, overriding structures of the society rather than individual people not having motivation. Because I do think when it comes down to individuals, I think you can see really quick change. It's the gears of the system that's harder to get moving, I'd say. Yeah, and I I think I want to kind of follow on what you said in in terms of, especially with the experience of climate change, I think people are a little cynical about the impact of individual choices. And and I do think that there is some bad faith acting, at least on this topic of maybe some people or industries that have the potential to make make very big impact changes who want to say, but what about, you know, there's a lot of whataboutism. Well, you're not doing, you're not 100% perfect, so why should I change? And uh, I think that that could definitely be a part of of the AMR story as well. There's going to be, some people have a bigger scale opportunity than others. And there's, there's always going to be a want to sort of say, you should change and, and I don't have to, or calling out hypocrisy or bad faith calling out hypocrisy, I would say, of like people who who are resistant to change for other reasons, who are are using the imperfection of the messenger against them. And I could see that happening in, in AMR too. There's a a lot of people who are activated on AM on on climate change right now. Action is happening. And I don't want to say, oh, AMR is a bigger issue. You guys are wasting your time. Climate change is exponential and planet devastating potential. It's important that you address it quickly. And so is AMR. I'm I'm not trying to say one is worse than the other, but I understand that even if antimicrobial resistance runs amok and we all die, there's there's not the potential for the planet to be destroyed by microbes. They'll just take it over, you know, and some new life form will kind of take our place. So it's this the scale is a little different and and I don't want to make a an either or approach this is not a zero-sum game there's potential for action on multiple fronts and we're going to have to take individual action on multiple fronts but there's also like you said there's going to be these um there's going to be actors who have a bigger potential influence and we need them to change but i and i think we've talked about this before and maybe internally, I don't remember if it was on the podcast, that it's really important that we don't stand there and and blame people because it's super demotivating. You know, if we really want change, to stand there and tell people that they're the problem is not is absolutely not going to have the change, the impact that we want. And yeah, it is 
oh my goodness, is it frustrating to, to be there feeling like in your head that you're talking to the person that you're talking to, man, they're the problem if they would just change. And I know a solution that can help them change. And, and not only would it be better for the world, but hey, maybe it's even better for them. Maybe they're better for their economic bottom line. And what is their problem? They're just being stubborn. I've had this experience talking to people and um, sometimes about work, sometimes it's just like personal political stuff. So, you know, I'm not, I'm trying, not trying to like name names or whatever, but I understand that is frustrating, but if we really, really, I believe, need, really want to have the impacts that we want to see the changes, then we have to have a little bit of restraint on our own message. We have to be able to speak with empathy, with truth, but with empathy. And we have to bring people on board. We talk about we all have a role, and that means not just, and I, I think I've, I've said it every which way on this podcast, but in this instance, it doesn't just mean that we are all responsible, that we are all to blame. We are all to blame. Some have bigger potential impacts than others, but we are all to blame. But that also means that we are all part of the team when we're going to address this. That means we are all on the same side. And if we are alienating each other by fighting amongst ourselves, well, the bacteria are just going to win. That's just how the solution, that's just what's going to happen there. Because they don't have these like interpersonal problems. They don't have brains. And so they don't, they don't have feelings that are hurt in that way. Um, So it's on us to get over that if we want to sort of, get ahead in this fight with these microbes. That's a long-winded way of saying, you know, as we're sort of addressing the problem, we're, we're all part of the solution. And when we talk about the solution, it's really important that we, we speak positively and we bring people along rather than putting people in like bo- blame boxes as like put the spotlight on them and, and tell them how, how wrong they are because they will absolutely never ever listen to you at that point so I I mean that's that's my opinion I know there's a there's a, a there's other school of thoughts that say political pressure or um, public pressure excuse me can really motivate people to change public shame can motivate people to change and I certainly think that those are forces in the world but it's kind of like regulation right people will change to regulation but you better enforce it you can't just pass the law and so if you want to create change by telling people they're wrong and they must change well they may change but only if you are able to invest the energy and the monetary enforcement power to maintain that spotlight on them that requirement on them forever and ever and always and it is usually more cost effective, more energy, less less personal energy to get somebody on board with the solution rather than making them the problem that you're trying to sort of control. I understand where you're coming from, Mar, and what you're trying to say. And I agree 
with what you're saying about how you don't want to point the finger at an individual or at a specific sector. Like you sometimes see it's all, people say that it's all agricultural's fault. It's all, you know, the food producing fault. It's all because of uh, hospitals. We remember that it is everyone's fault. Like you were saying, it is, it is, we all have a role to play in both the solution and in the problem. So I do think it's important not to just try to point the finger at one place or multiple places, but to remember that we all have that role and it doesn't help to just say, if your industry just changed, we would be fine. But I also think that when it comes to overriding system change, and when the motivation for no change is maybe greed or something like that, or just lack of care about other people's needs or like the society needs, I think, and this is just my own worldview, but that calling that out and like putting pressure on that is okay. Like, because that is the way a lot of times I'm not saying putting like shame on someone, but understanding that we've got to actually crack down on this and do something substantial about it. I think that's okay. As long as it's not blaming just one, if it's more of like, like a corporate greed, then that is different than saying the practices that the um, food industry needs just to keep producing food. I'm, maybe I'm not making this make much sense. I just think that there is a benefit to people being frustrated and going out and making changes like on a, a lot of these changes are going to happen at a policy level. So we can do as much as we can as like individuals, but then big system changes are going to happen with regulations and policy changes. So getting kind of frustrated is can be a good motivation to go out and make the change. Mm, I don't know. Maybe I'm not making enough sense I here. I see what you're saying in the sense that advocacy is major part of getting some of maybe the funding and the, the framework and education requirements that are going to be needed. And advocacy requires energy. Energy comes from somewhere. And, you know, this sort of anger that can be engendered by inaction by others could be motivating and, and provide energy. I could see that. I could. And certainly the resistant, uh, you know, I, we talked a little bit about uh, the, the very beginning of my long spiel. I was talking about, you know, people acting in bad faith and blaming each other in the climate change side. And, and I could see that in AMR easily again, and that people are finding, looking for ways to sort of not change and um, say that someone else should change first. Um, uh, and and I guess in terms of identifying and calling out that sort of behavior uh, as to its source, as what you're kind of describing, could be helpful if someone is open to uh, a little bit of, of self-awareness and they're in that headspace. I think that there's they would be really helpful if that message should come from someone they trusted, who they had a positive relationship with generally who could say now why are you why are you so resistant to this 
let's think about what you're actually doing here and maybe what the impacts could be. I still think that that would be more effective. But if there isn't that voice, and again, we're spiraling into politics here, but the, the sort of siloing of our information and of our networks, if that voice does not exist in that uh, person or persons, because we're, if we're talking about say a company, you, you have several persons, but they may have a similar overlapping networks. Those those voices don't exist. Uh, who can who they trust who will give them that message and kind of seek a little bit of, of self introspection in terms of why they aren't why they're so reluctant to make a change, then yeah, maybe an outside influence is required. But I, I do want to, again, just say, I don't think that that's wrong. You know, I've come to this realization in, in some ways that sometimes that that is required. You know, going back to the example that I use with regulations, sometimes if you need to make a change, you have to use regulations. You must require someone to make the change. And before I was saying, you know, maybe using that as a bad example, I don't think that regulations are bad or that forcing change from the outside is bad. I just think you need to be cognizant of what it requires. You can't just make that law. You can't just demand a change of someone who is reluctant and adversarial to the change and then walk away from it. Because as soon as you're not looking, not only does the motivation hasn't been changed for them, but they've got now resentment. And that means that they're even more likely to switch back, at least in my understanding of, of human behavior. And so I would say you can force them from the outside to make the change, behavioral change or, or institutional change, commercial, corporate change, whatever it is that's going to address some of these issues. Um, but if they're the adversary, then you better be prepared to spend a lot of energy looking over their shoulder. Because they know that you're their adversary. They don't feel like they're part of the team. And they're never going to, at least I don't see them ever kind of doing it voluntarily. And that just means that it's going to be harder. In my opinion, it's harder than doing the, the trust building exercises and the team building exercises. But sometimes that stuff isn't available because of what we talked about with um, the siloing and things. And so you have to do external enforcement. And we've gotten really off topic of AMR here in terms of how we motivate behavioral change. And there's a lot of theories of this, and this is, I am not an expert in it, and I don't, none of us are. This is sort of just our observed opinion, but I, and I, I agree with you that there is a place for an enforced change. And the only reason that I am sort of sounding any kind of alarm bell on that is that not because I don't think that that would be effective for creating the change, but that I think that it will cost more and that not just in money, but in, in time and energy. And we just have to be aware of that. If that's, if that's the only solution that we have, then it's going to just cost more. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We had a great discussion today. Got into the weeds. I hope you learned a lot. I certainly did. We will start a new series next week, and I hope you all come to check that out. Um, and until then, we will see you all later. See you later. Thank you.